0: Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to welcome back a friend of the show, Oliver Platt uh, of One Soccer. Thanks so much, Oliver, for taking the time. I know it's uh, busy with, you just had Nations League, Gold Cup, Canadian Premier League, and this week, obviously, the Women's World Cup starts. So I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, really excited for you to join the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. I always enjoyed talking to you. Uh, I want to kind of ask you a little bit about just the the men if we backtrack a little bit and them going to the senior men's national team going to the world cup what was that like for you to cover it and and just I know you didn't go to Qatar but just what was that whole experience like and um and and how did you uh kind of see the team and and their two goals and an own goal and uh and obviously Davies, like what did you just make of the whole uh uh, tournament and, and and what it meant for you?
1: yeah it was, it was pretty hectic doing a show every day that like I can uh I've, I've always thought like the way I work with Andy Patrillo, obviously and the way she does the the Olympics like in the middle of the night sometimes with the time difference and every day yeah. and, like it, I couldn't do it I don't think so this was enough for me um it was definitely <laughs> busy but but yeah really exciting um I think in in terms of the the team like the belgian performance i thought was was excellent like I, I that's as good as i've ever seen a canadian team play when you actually take into account the opposition and the difficulty of, of playing against the team like belgium obviously there's been well it wasn't a win but there's been bigger wins and, and things like that down the years but just in terms of how canada played in that game and, and took that game to um you know a world-class opponent i've never seen the men's national team play at that level before so that was an exciting start obviously kind of dampened by the result and the facts that you, you thought they should have got at least something out of that game. Um and then yeah, then it became I think a, a bit of a lesson for Canada in, in where the gaps still are. Um mm. the depth of the squad, certain positions maybe not being as strong as others and and that really being exploited by a great Croatian team, and and then Morocco, obviously being the the big surprise of the tournament, how strong they were. So, it was an incredibly tough group, and and I think you've got to take that into account when you compare the performance to to what the US did or or what other teams did, whoever you want to um, reference. No one, I, I I don't think, had a harder group than Canada, and so that I think has to to factor into the analysis at the end of it.
0: And and with that, I, I want to ask you because when I had you on before in, in the fall, I talked about kind of the Canadian media soccer landscape and and now, you know, it's what six, seven months after the World Cup. How do you feel about the Canadian soccer media landscape in this country? Uh is it as is it what you expected? Just kind of give us an insight in how you feel about the the industry right now after a World Cup.
1: Yes, yeah, it's been a really interesting summer in that regard, because I think um, for the first time the team has come under some criticism and like sustained criticism for the performances, particularly in the Nations League final. And it's kind of been a weird one for me because I, I felt like at the start of World Cup qualifying, I thought this team was underrated. I thought they had a real chance to go to the World Cup and, and maybe not as much as people realised. And now I think having been through that process and been to a World Cup, now I think the expectations are probably too high. Like yeah. I, I don't think we've we've come as far as maybe some people thought just by making that one World Cup. Um, there's still big gaps between Canada and the US in terms of, you know, the resources of the programs, the depth of the player pool, all, all of these different areas. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you just give up and say we can't compete with with teams like that. They can be anyone on their day. And also we've got to look at over the next few years, how do you close those gaps, right? And how do you build a program that actually is comparable to the US to Mexico to and go outside of CONCACAF and start looking at, at the top teams around the world as well. So um, I think we should all want to do that and we should all want to go through that process, But, but it is a process and it takes more than one qualifying run, like to really yeah. sustain success from cycle to cycle that's a very different thing than just having one fantastic run as brilliant as it was to, to get to one world cup. So that's where I think we have to kind of turn our focus now. And maybe the the summer was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a wake up call in that, in that regards, um, in terms of some of the results, but, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can really commit to that and, and build something here. Cause the potential is there for sure.
0: What have you noticed just personally in, in, in the media in Canada? Have you, do you feel as though there's more eyeballs, more media attention, or is it still, kind of what it felt like maybe uh, prior to the World Cup?
1: Um, I think it's different for sure. Um, it's definitely been an increase. It's it, it's a tough one. Um, again, I think it's something that's, that's going to take more time and, and more yeah. than one World Cup. But uh, I, I think even looking at the Women's World Cup this summer, I think that is getting more attention in this country, more investment in terms of media, you know, that's going into it. There's, there's far more coverage in terms of different Women's World Cup shows, um, you know, podcasts, all, all of these different things. I think there's far more people covering it than maybe there has been in the past. So that side of it in terms of Canadian soccer media is building, I think. Um, but still, again, it's another area, I think, where we have quite a quite a way to go to, you know, to really be comparable to some other countries that I'm sure we'd like to compare ourselves to.
0: And and with that, obviously, you've been doing interviews, uh, with many players on on the men's and women's national team. Especially, I know I I watched yours your interview with John Herdman a, a couple of weeks ago. How for you? How do you prepare for those interviews? And then maybe how do you manage those relationships with players and coaches to ask those tough questions, but also be
1: fair and and cultivate those relationships. Yeah, it's a good question. Um. My approach has always just been like I try and and be honest. I try and like I deliberately try not to get too close to players or coaches. okay um, and I have maybe less contact with them than some people mm-hmm. might do because I just I find my job easier uh, when I do that because I'm not clouded by you know this guy has been really nice to me and or given me this story or whatever and 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 I kind of feel like I'm inhibited in what I can say in that way. so um I I try and give my honest opinion fairly as as fairly as I can without you know bias or or favoring one person over another for for whatever reason you you are still even if you can do that and I'm sure I don't get it right all the time but even if you're able to do that you are still gonna upset people at times they're not gonna like criticism and what you have to say and you just have to accept that And, and like if I was in their position as a player as a coach and someone was on tv saying I wasn't doing very well like I probably <laughs> yeah, do not feel yeah. great about that person either so um yeah you just accept that that you know that there's going to be different people that feel different ways about you and hopefully I found that you know a lot of the players and coaches that I, I really respect and I think are great people as well as players um they understand the job you're doing and they understand that as long as it's not personal and it's not you know unfair in any way um they don't really hold it against you, and uh, and are pretty good about it, and that's certainly been the case with a lot of Canadian players, both in in the national team and, and the CPL as well.
0: And and with that, obviously, you you interviewed Herdman, and you mentioned it earlier that he's you know got a lot of ire of, of the fans of late. I mean, I'm I'm included to some extent, just in his decisions and uh and and just tactics and everything um for you how do you feel about all the negative criticism that going to john herdman it feels like it's a complete 360 from seven eight months ago and and how much is maybe deserved and and just how would you maybe rate his overall performance since the world cup
1: yeah i don't agree with with quite a lot of the criticism um i think i'm probably i probably have a bit more of a favorable opinion than than the average i guess um in terms of the job he's done lately um Like I think there are certain individual criticisms you can have of team selection tactics, certain individual things that are probably true of any coach. But I think sometimes sometimes the things Herdman does he he does take a longer term view of things. So like to to give you one example, I know a lot of people were surprised that he kept playing Moise Bombito in in midfields during the Gold Cup, right? And and I get that. Like obviously the performance against Cuba, he struggled, he gets substituted. Um, He looks like a really talented natural defender. And so people want to see him there. People want to see different players in midfield, even some players who weren't in the squads, um, potentially. But I think that is Herdman, like in that area of the pitch, I think he has a problem. Like there is no natural replacement for Atiba Hutchinson. And that's a big issue for them. And I think that is him trying to be creative and trying to find solutions and knowing that the solutions or the ideas he has may not work and he may get criticized for them as a result but there is at least some thinking behind it. So I I, I try and, you know, I I think with any coach, you try and bear that in mind that sometimes they do things that that seem confusing um, and they may be, they may not work and they may may be deserving of criticism because they're not the right ideas, but at least there is an idea behind them as opposed to just, you know, he's just throwing (laughs) some guy in in central midfield because he has, he has no other plan. Right. I don't think that was the case. So yeah. yeah i I think there are certain areas of the team where he's trying to experiment a little bit and try different things and that has probably gotten him a little bit of criticism um if he'd maybe just picked a safer option but an option that doesn't really help canada in the long term
0: and and what of those kind of experiments like obviously what players maybe impressed you especially at the gold cup the nation's league was normally like their normal roster for the like that they've played for the past like the qualifying cycle and obviously the world cup but what players have been impressing you and and maybe just what players should kind of Canadian fans look out for in in the next kind of rounds of Copa America qualifying and and just friendlies and and everything else
1: well i think Ali Ahmed obviously caught a lot of people's eye in in the Gold Cup he was the standout young player for me um Bombito i do think has has a good future whether it's as a, i think it's more likely as a defender um but certainly he has a role to play so those were two that came out of the Gold Cup um, who I think can co- contribute in the longer term, but it, it's still the case in Canada that like it's difficult to predict. Like, yeah. Ismail Kone came out of nowhere. <laughs> um, you know, previously Jonathan David's maybe a bit of a lesser extent, but still, like again, a player who just jumped straight from uh, his youth club in Ottawa to Europe and and is suddenly a national team player. So, I think that's that's part of this when I talk about the process of building the program out over the next few years. It's great that we have those talents that come from left fields, but we need to we need to build a proper development system of, you know, players going through good youth programs, going to the CPL or MLS, then taking the next step and have a bit more of kind of a a purpose and a planning to it rather than just hoping you know the next Kone turns up and he happens to be a centre back this time and that's exactly what we need, right?
0: How do you feel? How would you look at it and maybe? like with the CPL, like how much of has that really improved the Canadian national team going forward? And is is, is it more of something that will see the the fruits of its labour maybe in five, ten years from now? Or do you think we're seeing more of those trickle effects of having finally a, a domestic league?
1: I think it would definitely have a bigger impact in the longer term. I, I, I've always said that I think, you know, the players who are, 10 11 12 13 years old as the CPLs in its early years are the ones who are going to really benefit from it uh, in terms of having that that proper bridge between youth football and, and professional football that can then hopefully springboard them onto uh onto bigger and better things and you already see that with with a player like Victor Latoury right who came into the league I think he was 16 or 17. now he's in europe he's still a young player he's on the national team and and you know you hope in two or three years time that that's a player who could be a a national team regular maybe playing at an even higher club level in Europe um and who could have a big future and I think there'll be a lot of players like that um hopefully in the next few years that that start to come through and use the CPL as their platform so that's where that you get the big benefit but but certainly I think you can already look at you know Waterman's at all like the, the depth of the pool is is way better than it was um as a result of some pretty immediate impacts of the CPL. But I, I understand that everyone's going to look at, well, who are the guys who can really impact the starting yeah. lineup? And then that's what it's kind of going to be judged on. And that will obviously take more time.
0: And, and with that, obviously uh, before we, when we talked last time in the fall, uh, there was no project date and then now there is. And and how, how I know I had uh, your colleague, Alex Gange Ruzik, um, and he seemed a bit skeptical of the start date in 2025. Just how do you, what do you make of, Project 8, how likely do you think this thing gets off the ground? And, and what would it mean to have a domestic league in, in Canada for a, a women's domestic league in Canada?
1: Yeah, look, obviously, I really hope it does. I think it would be hugely important um, in the same way that the CPL has been. And, and I've said before as well, I think that there's maybe an even bigger opportunity on the women's side and that the women's game in terms of leagues around the world is obviously an earlier stage of its evol- evolution like a lot of the leagues that exist now weren't there 10 years ago 20 years ago and so you're coming into a world where maybe Canada can be higher up the the mm-hmm. kind of hierarchy of leagues quicker um, and I know Diana is, is really ambitious about it in that way and wants to create a league that's comparable to some of the top leagues in the world and not just kind of a you know a smaller kind of feeder league so if, if you're having that kind of ambition um, it's a tight timeline and I think everyone accepts that and, and understands that that it's a really ambitious timeline so we'll see on that one I, I don't know what the current um, situation is in terms of finding the next clubs and, and so on and so forth but um, I certainly like the ideas and I like when people try to overestimate and think big a little yeah. bit and, and go go for it rather than just you know accepting that Canada is going to be second or third fiddle in, in this region and, and that's all we can strive for
0: and, and, and with that, like, with the domestic league, like, how much how much benefit will that bring to the women's team? And maybe how far is Canada away from being maybe the top, like when we're going to talk about the Women's World Cup, of being like a true, true bonafide contender? How much has that been because of a lack of a, a women's domestic uh, league?
1: Well, again, I, I think you can see the potential for it just in terms of uh, league One right now. Like I saw something on social media the other day about how Canada is only, is one of the only countries in the World Cup that doesn't have a, a domestic Tier 1 league. Mm-hmm. But th- there's a lot of teams in this tournament that have that league that has the Tier 1 status under their federation, but those leagues are not as good as League One Canada, like in terms of the talent that is in this yeah. country right now that, that's already there. So um, I think putting some of those players... Again, that they already exist just into the professional environment, allowing them to to commit themselves to professional football every day, train every day, not have to work a, a you know a, a second job or a full time job and play soccer on the sides. Um, it's, it's, it's huge, and and I think when you look at the uh, again, maybe it takes a little bit longer in terms of the top end talent that really is you know your top five players on on the roster or whatever. But when you look at the women's national team pool right now in terms of the depth of it it doesn't go very far beyond like 25 26 players you know it it cuts off pretty quickly there so it's getting better but um there's still not a ton of players i don't think that are really knocking on the door for beth Priestman and saying you've got to drop someone from your squad to get me in so Mm -hmm. i think a domestic league in, in that way you know pretty immediately has a big impact
0: and and let's go to the women's national team obviously uh they play on uh, Thursday at I think it's ten thirty p.m. Eastern here in Canada. Or uh, and um, what, what just what do you think the expectations are for this team? Obviously, they won the gold. Uh, they won the gold medal at the Olympics. I don't know if winning the World Cup is maybe the most realistic thing for this team. But just what are the expectations and uh, how do you, like how far do you think this team can go in this tournament?
1: Um, I, I think the minimum expectation is is to get out of the group. I think I would probably see it as a good tournament for Canada if they have one like signature win in the knockout stage against a quality opponent um winning the world Cup I, I think they have a chance I'm not, I'm not certainly not going to write them off, but I think it's probably a pretty small chance and they are you know a little bit further down that group of teams that you could potentially see winning the tournament um It's going to be a really tough group like they they don't really have much room to ease themselves in um not just in in the sense that nigeria i think is is a decent opponent that will take a good performance to beat but also in the sense that you you're going to play australia thirds and there's probably going to be one team in that game who needs to draw to win the group and one need, team that needs to win and you'd much rather be mm-hmm. be the first <laughs> team right so they they need to win these first two games they hopefully need to score a few goals to get the goal difference right as well um so with a team that has some fitness questions and you know players coming off injuries that's, that's going to be a big ask, I think, to, to hit the ground running and, and really get, get at it in the first two games. So, and a lot of
0: questions with this team is how do they score? Where, where do you think the goals come from? Obviously, Christine Sinclair is not Christine Sinclair of 10 years ago, still a really good player, but where is this yeah. team going to find goals? Because I think the defense is pretty sound, and and maybe that's not the, the area of concern.
1: No, um, look, I, I think. In, a, in an ideal world, maybe there's a breakout player in there who, who has a great World Cup, um, someone like a, a Chloe Lacasse, who's obviously really rising in her club career. I think more realistically, it's, it's going to be a group effort, right? They're going to have to score by committee. They're going to have to win tight games, um, take their moments when they come like they did in the Olympics, and, and that was what they were very good at. So I think it's it's really going to be a tournament where Bev Priestman is is going to have to strategize in, in that regards. you know, not just looking at, what's your starting lineup and what are your first choice players, but how can you impact the game off the bench late in games? That was, again, something they did very well in Tokyo. Um, and yeah, I, I'd be surprised. I, I'd love to be wrong, but I'd, I'd be surprised if there's one real standout attacking star for Canada in this tournament. I, I think it has to be by committee and, you know, just getting important contributions from from a number of players across the tournament.
0: And, and with that, what do you like? Who do you think that what like if you had to game plan this quickly, like what would your starting eleven be for the
1: first game against Nigeria in your mind? Um, I think the back four is uh, Lawrence on the left, Joe and. Buchanan and then Jade Revere that to me seems to pick itself obviously Revere coming off the injury is you kind of wonder what the fitness is like but I think with Jade Rose out uh, that becomes more straightforward obviously Sheridan's going to be in goal midfields that that's like the the interesting decisions are in midfield forwards right do you go with Sinclair at the 10 and then you have to leave one of you're not going to leave Fleming out if she's fit but uh, Grosso or Quinn or do you go Fleming Grosso Quinn and Sinclair's on the bench um, or up front? And then, you know, the the wide positions as well. Um, what's Nichelle Prince's fitness like? What's Deanne Rose's fitness like? Are they starters or substitutes in this tournament? Um, you know, again, that probably goes some way to defining whether you play one or both of them or, or Lacasse or Leon. Uh, and then I'd expect that I think Heitema will get the chance to be the number okay. nine and they'll start with her uh, and see if she can take it and run with it. But obviously, you've got uh vn and sinclair and actually like prince as a as a striker as well so they've got a few options there but yeah it's, it's tough to predict because so much of it i think is fitness related and we just don't know from the outside looking in exactly where uh where some of those players are at
0: how, how big of an impact is the loss of janine becky and, and i guess even as well with desi scott and, and jade rose i really like rate rose she was great yeah um, and for canada last year and a bit of this year so just how big of an omissions are those type of players for this team
1: yeah, Becky, I think, is is the biggest one. Um, just an experienced player, obviously, proven at, at the highest levels, gives you a load of different options tactically as well in terms of the different positions she can play. So that's a big loss. Um, Scott, I think, at this tournament, probably would have been more of a depth player. It's, it's disappointing to see her miss out on a personal point of view because you wonder mm-hmm. if there's another World Cup after this one for her. Um, but I think probably that the midfielders... There would certainly be a role for her, maybe later in games, but I think the way the midfield has evolved, you're looking at Quinn and Grosso and and Fleming, I think, to really lead that group. Rose, I think, could be a bit of an underrated one, um, just because I think it would allow you to play Ashley Lawrence at left back. I think they will still do that with Revere, but now if you are down one of those players, your, your depth isn't quite the same, so... Um, the way Jade Rose has performed and also come in at right back and, and performed as well, um, I think has been pretty significant for Canada. So that's one I think they might feel more than than people think.
0: And um, Beb Priestman, Priestman has a, a couple of young players like eighteen nine year uh, eighteen and nineteen year olds, Olivia Smith um and and some others what do you make of those selections over maybe more established players and and are there what are the chances those players play like how how much will there be of a a youth movement at this world cup
1: yeah i I think smith from what i've seen in youth tournaments is is really talented like she's a player with it with a big future so I, i think what it comes down to is again when you talk about the depth of the roster and kind of the last few spots are you picking players who maybe are when you look at it objectively the 22nd and 23rd best players, but are you going to put them on the pitch, right? Are you you actually going to take off? uh, If you talk about, you know, I think it was particularly midfield and and forward, the positions where, you know, that would affect, are you going to take off your starters for one of these players? And if Bev Priestman doesn't feel like she's going to do that, and these players are kind of just going to be on the periphery a bit, then why not take a, a young kid in Olivia Smith, who certainly has the potential, I think in the longer run, um, to play a much more prominent role. Uh, give her the experience, you know, make her a part of, of the senior group and, and you know, the, give her the opportunity to train with these players every day. Um, and it should set her up pretty well, I think, this experience to, to then go into the pro game, which she's going to do uh, off the back of her, her her first year in college. So I don't mind the decision. I, I think when you get to those roster spots, it's, it becomes a little bit more about, you know, not just who are the best players on, on paper, but squad building a little Mm -hmm. bit and finding the right balance in, in terms of personalities and things like that. So, um, yeah, I'm on, I'm on board with giving Smith a go.
0: What, what player are you most excited to watch at at the world cup for Canada?
1: Good question. Um, it's hard to look past Jesse Fleming just because I think she's going to be so central and, you know, is her, her team in many ways now to, to really run. And, um, if she's, you know, if she performs, I, th- I think Canada has a chance. If if she's a little bit inhibited, it's it's going to be difficult. So, that would be the one that that immediately comes to mind for me. Um, I've really enjoyed watching Julia Grosso as well. I think she just has a lot of quality on the ball, and again, is is giving Canada a different type of midfield. So I'd I'd say, seeing if that midfield three that I mentioned of, of Fleming, Grosso, and Quinn, if they can really assert themselves and 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 play to the potential I think they have. I think that's an exciting trio, um, yeah. but it's uh, and and will in many ways, I think, define how Canada does at this tournament.
0: And obviously, Christine Sinclair is in her I think she's in her 40s now. I think she's 40 now. Um, yeah, just this may be her last one song. The, obviously, the Olympics are, are next year as well. Just how how much has she meant to this program? But also just what are the chances that this is her last major uh, tournament for, for Canada and yeah just give kind of a little brief and how important is she to this team right now in 2023
1: yeah you, you'd think it would be her last tournament but you can kind of never <laughs> say never with Sinclair right maybe there's one more Olympics in her I I, I don't know Um, I, I think there was a few players that I think after Tokyo were thinking about it pretty hard as to whether they wanted to continue on or not so I'd expect that you know we know with sophie schmidt obviously it is um maybe this will be the the last one for a few of them but yeah i i don't think you can i don't think words can really ad- adequately describe yeah. what sinclair is, is meant for the program um everyone knows the way she's you know carried the flag for, for canada for so many years and and, and during times as well um where maybe the the game in this country didn't always get the respect it deserves within Canada, not just outside of Canada. I know a lot of people talk about, you know, us not getting respect, but I, I think at times within the country as well, like sport hasn't had the attention, the investment that it's, that it's needed and, and deserved. And through all of that, uh, Christine Sinclair has been one of the best players in the world at times, a real claim to being the best player in the world is the best goal scorer in international history. Like, like I said, the the legacy there I think is, is pretty difficult to quantify because it's mm-hmm. it is absolutely vast.
0: And uh, I want to kind of backtrack a bit because I, I forgot to mention this um, before we got into the women's team, but there's been a lot of strife with the men's and women's team with the CSA. Um, I don't believe the women's team has a deal with the CSA heading into this World Cup as we stand here today. Um, just tell us a little bit about the, the strife and does... Is there any optimism of a deal? Does there need to be a deal for them to play at the World Cup? Just tell us a little bit about that, just specifically towards the, the women's team and, and the CSA and their lack of a deal.
1: Yeah, and unless something has changed, um, I'm not aware of any danger in terms of their participation at this World Cup. I, I was under the impression that there was going to be something at least short term to have them covered for, for the tournament, maybe for the rest of the year, and, and that things were okay. Um, with the women's team at least. So I, I don't know if there's been any developments since mm-hmm. I last heard, but um, you know, obviously hopefully we'll have something more, uh, more finalized and, and publicly announced to, to to that effect. I'm not sure. Um in terms of a longer term deal, like it's it's complicated and I think we're in a better spot now, um, as a result of some of the changes that have happened. I think Jason DeVos has done a good job so far of trying to Build some bridges a little bit. I think the players obviously know that he was a player himself, and you know f- feel a bit more affinity to that and a, a bit more trust there um, than, than than was there previously. Um, but it's a complicated deal to do because it's not federation and women's national team and federation and men's national team separately. It's like a three way agreement, right? Where the yeah. men and the women have to agree as well on on the equal pay aspects, so and that I think is is tricky and and is the sticking point right now uh in terms of what that looks like so we'll see how it develops um i think there's you know there's certainly there's a desire on the csa's part i think to do the equal pay deal but what that looks like when you start getting to the numbers and world cup bonuses and prize money and all of these different things gets a bit more complicated so that i think is still kind of an open question
0: and how does the csb deal kind of come into play in terms of their their negotiations as well just some people may not know but canada soccer we talked we've talked about it on the show, but they signed a deal with um the CSB for the Canadian Premier League, One soccer and everything, and and um it's tied to uh, the Canadian Federation in terms of their the, the money they can allocate to to national teams and and et cetera. So just maybe tell us how that Im- impacts uh, potential negotiations.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it has a massive impact in terms of player compensation and their negotiations okay. with the with the federation. Um yeah i i think obviously like it's, it's been documented that the csb deal um or the csb is in talks or is offered i think to have talks with anyone who wants to the csa the players whatever in terms of looking at that deal and, and how they can um i don't think they use the word modernize but it's kind of the soccer i think use the word modernize mm-hmm. um it depends on, on your side of the, of the argument i guess there but um i don't think that is really a big block to doing a, a deal between okay. the federation and the players um you know obviously what it what it means in terms of the bigger picture of the investment in the sport in this country different people have different opinions i have my own opinion on it which is um that the csb is the csb deal in that aspect of it has probably been um a little bit uh, some of the reporting I don't think is, is, is presented that in a totally accurate light. Okay. But, um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. That's, that's not something that I uh, I'm really part of in terms of those conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. And and with that, like, how optimistic are you that like, obviously Nick Bontis resigned, there's a new state of a kind of uh, committee and, and, and new leadership for, for Canada soccer. How optimistic are you that this will kind of, brings a new age of maybe more communication between the players you mentioned Jason DeVos just like what do you how have you seen it maybe firsthand or, or what do you expect from this new leadership core from Canada Stocker that might be different or maybe it's similar to the old guard and, and Nick Bontis?
1: yeah that, look that's my hope is that the communication is going to improve we all work together we all build what we want to build there because I think it's there for us um, but obviously the, the last couple of years of have been really consensus. um i think you have people at the federation in terms of again devos charmaine crooks the coaches they want to build it i think you have people at csb who have put a lot of investment in as much as people try and make out that they're coming out of this with, with a time, it's, it's just not true like that there's a huge amount of money that's gone into and continues to go into um building the cpl um funding the national teams um where I work at One Soccer and, and with Media Pro, you know, the, there's a lot of investment that's gone in as well. So the, the, the appetite is there to to build something here on every single side. It's just kind of, again, improving that communication and having people really work together and, and have the same kind of idea of, of where we want to go here that's proven to be the, the, the difficult part over the past couple of years. And, you know, there are some things, that, again, I think some of the, uh, the narrative around the CSB deal and Canada's soccer, I think, has been unnecessarily inflammatory and that hasn't helped things. Not saying that there aren't some valid criticisms, of of course there are, but um I don't think it's it's always been presented in in exactly an accurate light. Um but hopefully we're we're moving forwards now and, and we'll we'll really see this start to grow.
0: So uh, before I let you go, I want to ha- ask you a couple fun questions from, from that conversation. Um, firstly, because I'm here in Ottawa and, you know, I know people that grew up playing against Jonathan David, especially in my high school. I think we played against him. I wasn't on the team because I wasn't that talented. But um, <laughs> just tell us, what do you think happens with him this summer? Obviously, it feels like I think I saw somewhere on Twitter, someone said he's everyone's plan B. Um, right. where, where, where do you think he ends up? And is it as simple as... Other strikers like Harry Kane or Osman or or Vlahovic, I think I said that right, um, have to go somewhere, and then uh, their respective teams will uh, sign Jonathan David. and And how likely is it that he moves? Like, is it possible he stays at Lille?
1: I think he will move, but I think that is it. That like just the dominoes need to fall, um, you know. In in terms of a few of the other strikers, who will I think command bigger price tags that are on the market. You're kind of waiting for those moves to happen and and then um i think things might become more clear for jonathan david like the interesting one uh, coming out of i think i saw the other day that lukaku is not going back to Inter, which makes that a pretty interesting potential destination for david now because it's always seemed like a place that he could potentially fit um and if there is now more of a pressing need for a striker that one would be interesting to me but I also kind of get the impression, not not based on real intelligence yes. and knowledge, but just kind of get the vibe that maybe he wants to go to England. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of the players do, obviously, outside of Real Madrid or Barcelona. That's kind of top of their list. So we'll see. Um, I think I'm pretty sure he will move and and the dominoes will fall and, and it will come together. But yeah, it may take some time.
0: And and with that, what what do you think the best team is for him? And maybe what is the best country? Like, is going to England the right step for him?
1: I'd love to see him there. Um, yeah. I think there's some some good options. Uh, in terms of clubs, there <laughs> definitely <laughs> not a good option for him. Uh, definitely could not afford it either. Yeah. But yeah, like e- even if it's not necessarily one of the two or three absolute top clubs in the Premier League, like when you go, you go from kind of fourth to, to seventh or eighth now is really good teams, right. With with a lot of financial firepower and that's what could swing it Um, for a Premier League club is, is there's just more teams who are capable of shelling out 40, 50, 60 million and, uh, and being able to do that in a way that other leagues can't do right now. And you're even seeing like, like you see a transfer like Brea, um, like a really popular player with AC Milan, loved at that club, really good young player he would have never gone to a club like Newcastle in, in, in the past, right? No disrespect to Newcastle, but hmm. just that wouldn't have happened um, until the, the finances of the game change. So you're seeing even some of the top clubs in Italy or, or Spain or whatever, um, you know, some of their players coming under interest from teams that are kind of maybe the second tier of teams in, in the Premier League. So that's been a big change in, in the dynamic of things, and maybe there's more options in, in the Premier League for that reason.
0: What do you make of the Saudi league and them just seemingly to to buy every player that is a bit over 30 but pretty still pretty good? Like what, what's happening there and how big of a change will we see? Like I keep thinking about the next five, 10 years. Like, will the Saudi League be part of the Champions League in some way because they yeah. bought it all? Like how has that changed the dynamic of of players and 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 transfers and 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 what do you make of it?
1: Yeah the, the money is crazy like it's it's on a completely different level from even some of the or what were previously the richest clubs in the world. Um, it does worry me about the state of kind of the top level of of soccer like I don't it's not just Saudi Arabia like it's yeah PSG, Man City, um, the amount of money that these clubs have now is again like I said a, a different level of things and I think it is starting to distort and and skew things in a way that i don't think is good for for the long-term health of the game so um we'll see i I, I, to be honest i think we're headed for a super league at at some point in the future and that's the way it will go and uh, kind of centralizing that way which maybe that's what needs to happen at this point because there's such wealth at the top level and everyone else can kind of just have their own leagues (laughs) and um, maybe be, be more competitive and have a chance of winning titles as, as a result but I, I I don't know what the future holds to be honest with that
0: and over the past couple of years what has been your your most fondest memory at one soccer and, and covering um obviously the qualifying rounds the the world cup just everything
1: what's been your kind
0: of most uh, memorable
1: memory uh been lucky there's been a ton that I could pick I think. Honestly, the the one game that I enjoyed, like going down to Azteca and watching mm-hmm. Canada play play in Mexico and get a great result in Mexico, that was like a a bucket list one for me. And, and a really you're on the touchline, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. behind the goal, which was was amazing. Um, but the game I actually enjoyed the most in qualifying was the Hamilton game, mm. um, just because it was an amazing game firstly obviously a brilliant win for Canada when a lot of people didn't expect it given the absences they had that window um and it was also like it must have been like one of the first games where we back where we actually had a, a crowds or mm-hmm. I don't know if that's right no no, no but it went, there. I, I
0: had seats I had tickets for that game and then yeah. Ford, because of the restrictions made it half capacity and then I had to rebuy yeah. I did not wasn't unable to get it. But I went to Jamaica, so it came came out. Oh, yeah. Of, but yeah, I missed no, that one. So you have that
1: one on me. Yeah, there you yeah, go. I think at least we I guess it had been open a few months ago for the first qualifiers, but then we'd had that like in Toronto. I think we had the longest lockdown Yeah, winter. Um and so just to have people back in the in the stands and like um I think there was kind of more meaning to that one than than even just a game. It was it was a really fun day. So that one always stood out to me in, in terms of the the run to Qatar.
0: Was there any, has there been any players or anything like cool interactions that you can maybe share that kind of spring to mind that are pretty memorable?
1: Um, Oh, my memory for this stuff is terrible. No, that's okay. Like... I, <laughs> I, There's the, the, the time, like, uh, to be honest, I, I think more of the CPL and I think nothing against the national team players like the mm-hmm. they've been great to, to be around and, you know, you could see how special that group was. Um, going to the World Cup so definitely appreciate them but I think the CPL players like I particularly think back to when I was in the bubble in in PEI just like what these guys give up and uh, the desire they have to be professional footballers and you know not always making a lot of money but just doing it because they they want to chase that dream and and love the sport like you you just have a a big level of respect for, for those players and getting to know a few of them a little bit better, like Jordan coming in and and, and working for us now, like you can't meet a nicer guy than, than mm. Jordan Wilson. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a real privilege to to be able to cover those guys and get to know a few of them a bit better as well. Well,
0: cool. Uh, I Quick question before I let you go. How much have you put in your like contract that if MK Dons make the Premier League, you, you leave and, and go to the Premier League? And, and <laughs> what, what's up with MK Dons? I, I know I haven't prepared, but uh, how are they doing? How do you feel about
1: the team? I think I could probably put that in my contract tomorrow because it would never happen. So my bosses (laughs) would have no concerns. Um, We've got, we're in league two now, which is not good. Um, Got relegated last season. The first game of the season is at Wrexham. So that's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. I think they've already sold it out. So um, we're going to be in the documentary one way or the other. Probably won't be good.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much, Ollie, for taking the time and coming on. Um,
1: is there anything at one soccer that you want to plug before I let you go? Yeah, um, we've just started yesterday our new Women's World Cup show, Goodnight Australia, New Zealand, um, with Andy Petrillo and Jordan Wilson, Jess Lee, C. Riley Foster. So I've been working on that. And, yeah, we're looking forward to being able to, to cover that whole tournament. Should be a fun show. So if people are, uh, uh, are into the Women's World Cup and watching, then, then check it out for sure.
0: Awesome. I definitely will as I, uh, you know, try to keep up and and I know I'm going to be staying up all night. So I'll probably be uh, <laughs> yeah, watching soon. you guys and uh, well, thanks so much, Ollie, for, for this and have a great summer. And hopefully uh, the women uh, go deep in the tournament. So you even though you won't get a break, it'll be it'll be fun for me. So uh, <laughs> I'll be busy. Yeah. So thanks so much, Ollie, for doing this. And I really appreciate it. And uh, have a great uh, World Cup.
1: Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it.
0: And uh, and for you uh, fans of, of Behind the Play, please uh, follow, subscribe everywhere on uh, on social media. I have a Twitter account, Behind the Play underscore at the end, as well uh, at our YouTube channel. Uh, follow, uh, subscribe to Behind the Play, and then of course subscribe and follow me, Alex Adams, and on uh, Spotify, it's everywhere. So just subscribe helps the show, and uh, thanks so much.